So today we find ourselves back in the book of Philippians, and I am so excited about what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk about the relationship that success and joy have. And so this is a powerful thing. So I want to start with a definition of success. All of us would like to feel like we're successful, right? I mean, you would, no one wants to get up in the morning and say, man, I'm just a failure in life. So I, I think we need to define what success is. So let me just tell you my best, my best rendering of it. Success is finding the will of God and just doing it. That's what it is. Success is finding the will of God and doing it. And if I can do that, no matter whether I'm doing it in a closet or whether I'm doing it out in the open or whether I'm doing it before one person, we all serve an audience of one. So success is really defining what God wants us to do and then doing it. Some of the hottest books selling today are books on success. And I find it ironic because the fact is, is that most of these books are written by people who want to be successful and aren't necessarily successful. There are some exceptions to that, of course, but, but I find it ironic and funny and kind of, kind of unusual that sometimes people write books about success and they're really trying still to figure out how to do it. The fact is, is that we learn far better from a model than from a manual. And so what I'm looking for is, is not someone to tell me what to do. I want someone to show me how to live my life in the Christian way. That is why Jesus came, by the way. That is why he incarnated himself into this world. That's why he went to the cross for us uh, to give us a model. But in addition to Jesus, there's this man by the name of the Apostle Paul, and he was this a devout follower of Jesus Christ, and he made his life count. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about some of his words, because I think his words resonate, because here's a guy that actually did it. Here's a guy who found the will of God and just did it. So with that in mind, I want to start with Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, and this is what it says. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. That sounds like a fairly arrogant statement, right? I mean, come on. Who would get up in front of an audience and say, hey, if you just want to be successful, just look at my life and do what I do. And if you do what I do, then that's going to cause you to be successful with God. And the reason that Paul could say that is because it was true, that Paul actually gave his life as an offering to God every day, and it was true. And then he writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, he says, keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Again, this is an arrogance that Paul is speaking of. This is just simply that Paul is in the trenches with Jesus, and he's actually doing everything that God has commanded him to do. So with that in mind, I think from Paul's life, we can draw out three principles of success, and therefore three principles that will bring joy inside of my life. Remember, the, the subject of this series is joy, and I want you to know that there's no greater joy than laying your head down on your pillow at night going, today I found what God wanted me to do, and I just did it. There's no greater joy than that. So with that in mind, three successful principles for living. I think the first thing starts, the first principle starts with the idea of truthful evaluation. If you and I are going to be successful in life and therefore have the joy of the Lord in our lives, you and I have to be honest about where we really are. We have to understand where we are. And so I've discovered that people either underestimate themselves or under, overestimate themselves. And I think, I don't know which category you're in, but both of them are destructive and damaging. One of my favorite Bible teachers is a guy by the name of John Ortberg. He pastors a church in 
the Bay Area, Presbyterian Church in the Bay Area, and I've been a follower of John and his teachings and his writings and his books for some time, and uh, I just love how he brings practicality to the Word of God. And so in one of his books, he writes about the idea that one day he was uh, at a, some type of a fair, some type of an outdoor event, and he was walking through, probably a state fair, walking through the crowds, and in the corner of his eye, he saw this mechanical bull. You all know what a mechanical bull is, right? That's, you know, for those of you that don't go to bars, that's what you ride, that's what they're riding in the corner, just so you, so you know. So there's this mechanical bull, and so John thinks, so, you know, I can do that. And uh, he's with his family and his children, and so he decides that, you know, he's going to, he's going to do this. And so he walks over to this, mecha- this mechanical bull, gets in line, and uh, when he gets up there, the guy kind of sizes him up, and he's, you know, uh, he's middle-aged at this time, and he's, you know, this is really kind of a younger man's thing. And so he says, uh, well, you know, this is a pretty difficult ride here, and we have, you know, levels from 1 to 12, and, and it's kind of dangerous. So, you know, are you sure you want to do this? And John assured the guy that he wanted to do it. So he gets on the mechanical bull, and, uh, I mean, this bull just whips him around you know, he, you know he, he centers himself and does everything he can to try to stay in this bull. And by the end of this bull ride, he's kind of halfway off and halfway on, and, but not all the way off. So, you know, he gets, he gets to the end, and so it's a successful ride. And he gets up, and he's very proud of himself. And the guy that was running the bull said, you know, that's level one. You know, kind of took the wind out of his sails, you know, kind of, you know, John was overestimating perhaps his ability a little bit. And I'm wondering in our lives spiritually if sometimes we overestimate our spiritual life just a bit. And we don't really see ourselves the way that we really are. Uh, there was a poll that was taken a while back, and, and uh, it was interesting that uh, poll was, the poll asked Americans, do you believe that you're in the top 1% of people in America earning money? And 19% of the survey said yes. Now, that, that math doesn't add up to me, at least. And Americans score 25th in the world in, in math itself, by the way. And if you ask Americans, you ask the average American, do you think you're good in math? A good portion of people will say, often they will say yes. We're number one in the world of thinking that we're really good at math. That's probably what I would conclude there. Philippians chapter 3, verse 23 says, this is Paul again. This is where Paul's at. This is his, this is his self-evaluation. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. I want you to remember that word. We're going to come back to it. But I press on to, the, to, the, uh, to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. So Paul here says that he hasn't arrived. He, and this is Paul as an old man. He's talking about where he is with Jesus, and he's saying, I'm still pressing. I'm still working towards that goal of righteousness and greatness in my life. And, and so I want to just stop for just a minute And I want to talk a little bit about where Paul's righteousness came from. Because what Paul is not talking about here is Paul is not talking about the fact that that he hasn't reached perfection in his righteousness because that is not true. And here's why. Paul's righteousness doesn't come from his works. It doesn't come from his self-effort. Paul's righteousness comes from what is imputed to him or what's imparted to him at the moment that he said yes to Jesus Christ. At that moment, And in our moment, when you said yes to Jesus, this is what miraculously took place at that moment in time. There was an exchange that took place. This is called the great exchange by theologians. And that exchange is simply this, is that God exchanged His righteousness. Jesus exchanged His righteousness for your sinfulness. 
So today, you possess, as a child of God, you possess all of the righteousness that Jesus possesses. So you are, in effect, as righteous as Jesus, not because of your deeds, but because what Christ has done for you. That, my friend, is called the grace of God. It's hard to understand. It's difficult to comprehend in your mind how that I could be called righteous in God's kingdom. But it's what the Bible says. God says that He became sin. That is speaking of Jesus who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So Paul's righteousness came from the finished work of Jesus on the cross and and that was his position. But that wasn't necessarily his condition. His conduct needed to be conformed to his position. That's what Paul's talking about here. My conduct hasn't yet attained to where I want to be. I'm not, le- I'm not yet acting like I am really called out by God. And this, this is a powerful thing. So let me see if I can break it down for you this way. This is so powerful and so important for us to understand. So listen to this caref- carefully. I could be elected as mayor, but it doesn't mean that I act like a mayor. See, the truth is, is we're called God's elect. We were chosen by God into a position of righteousness. And when God sees us, when the Father sees us, He never sees us apart from the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that's my position. But the reality is is that I have good days and I have bad days and I have days when my conduct, when my behavior, when my works don't match who I really am. I'm living living in in a strange way. I'm living with a position in Christ but a condition of sin. And that's, where Paul, that's what Paul is talking about. He's saying, I've not yet arrived. I'm still pressing towards the mark and calling of Christ Jesus. And that is so good. Now, let's go back to the word perfect. But I press on to possess that perfection, he says. What does that mean? It means one, or, one of two things, basically. It means the word perfect either means maturity. He's pressing on to maturity. Or it means to reach a goal. So if I'm going to fulfill God's purpose... I need to have a truthful evaluation. I really need to see who I really am. So let's eavesdrop on Paul to find out where he really stood with Christ, where, he, where his conduct was. So this is what he says in verse 13. He says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. This is Paul, again, as an aged man. He's an old man. And if anyone had the right to claim that he had arrived, it was Paul, but he says, I I have not arrived. Successful people never stop growing. Let me say that to you one more time. Successful people never, ever stop growing. You never just get to a place in your life where you say, I'm here, I've arrived. if If you want to know what perfection is, look at me. We are always expanding. Successful people are always expanding, learning, changing their mind. Here's the reality. Here's the truth is that as I've studied the Bible and as I have learned more about Jesus and as I've learned more about who God is, I've changed my mind about some issues. I have. Not about things like the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, not about any of those things, not about who God is, but I have had positions that I took as a young believer that I really had to go back and really evaluate and say, does this really match what Scripture has to say? So, a mature believer, a growing believer, is someone who's always changing their minds. And when I run into people who think they have arrived, I'm going to tell you the, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm sorry. I'm going to offend some people uh, 
in your house, not in my house, but in your house. It's going to offend some people in your house. When I see people like that, they just give me gas pains. I'm just saying, I just get a stomach ache and because I just think that successful people are people who are transparent and really have a handle on who they really are, what needs to be improved in their life, where they, where they, where they are good and where they are really wanting to be better. So here's the choice that I have to make every day. Do I want to look good or do I want to grow? Do I, do I want to look good for the people around me or do I really want to grow? Growing is like brushing your teeth. Everybody except you can tell that you haven't been doing it. That's the bottom line. Sometimes you're the last to know the bad news. So the first thing that I have to have, the first thing I have to have is that I have to have this sense of inner, inter, introspection. I have to really understand where I'm at. There's a second thing that I have to do, a second principle, and that is that I, I have to have the proper perspective. And that proper perspective is that if I'm ever going to be successful and therefore find the joy of the Lord in my life, I have to put the past behind me. So I'm going to dwell on this for a while because I find so many people that are struggling with their past. The goal is to stop being manipulated by your memories. And memories are there forever. I mean, I have memories of when I was six or seven years old, and so do you. I have memories of good things, and I have memories of bad things. And when Satan wants to, wants to paralyze me, the, the tool that he uses in my life is the shame, the, the memories of the bad things, bringing up failures inside of my life. And so we've got to stop being manipulated by those bad memories. Philippians 3.13, the second part of it says this, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, forgetting which th those things which are behind, and stretching forward to those things which are ahead. I've got to forget, and I have to stretch. Success involves learning to forget. Here is the balance. Learning from the past. I can't, I can't not learn from the past. I've got to learn from my mistakes. So I have to learn from the past without dwelling on the past. I've got to learn from the past without dwelling on the past. There are two things that you need to forget about your past. The first thing you need to forget about your past is your failures. And I'm going to say, let's just take a survey in the room and in your house. How many of you all, raise your hand, uh, raise your hand if this is true. I have failures in my life. Just raise it really high. I have failures in my life. All right. So I know that there are probably, I'm guessing there are probably about 3,000 hands going on up around the city. And uh, so you're admitting where you are. We all have failures. Satan will cause you to be frozen by bringing those memories up. He will freeze you. He will put lies into your life by things like, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. Why should you have that opportunity? Why should I do this in your life? And so these failures really freeze us up, and there's, there's nothing that you can ever do about your past. Listen to me carefully. Just kind of draw in for a minute. There's nothing you can do about your past except take it to the cross. That is the one thing that you can do is take your, 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 your sin, your failure, your shame, and put it on the, the cross. So here's the question that I would have for you. What about your past do you need to let go of? Right now, as I'm speaking, I know that there are a lot of thoughts running and raging through your mind, and there are things about your past you're thinking, yeah, that, I get that. I, that really troubles me. I'm just going to simply say right now, where you're sitting, wherever you are, you know, sometimes 
you're listening in, in, in a casual setting, sometimes not so much. Sometimes you're li- some of you are listening from outside the city of Reno, all over the world as a matter of fact. So wherever you're at right now, here's what you have to do. You have to take whatever it is and put it on the cross because it will debilitate you, it will trip you up, and you just need to let go of it. Now, we've talked about letting go of our failures, and amen, I know there's great victories that are being won all across the city. I know there's great victories being won, but let's talk about something else that you need to let go of. The other thing that you need to let go of is your successes. Success sometimes keeps us from being hungry. You know what I mean by that? Success sometimes just makes me kind of coast in my life a bit, and it doesn't allow me, it just robs me of the ability to be hungry in life. If all I did was forget the past, then all I would have is amnesia, by the way, just saying. Successful people have a goal. Successful people let go of their successes and press to the next battle. They press to the next battle. If you take a river and let it spill over its banks and go everywhere it wants, all you have is a swamp. That's what you're left with. But a river that runs its course is powerful. So what is the one thing that you want the Lord to do through your life right now? I don't care about whatever successes you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care who you are. What's the next thing? Because if you're not thinking about the next thing, you're coasting. And if you're coasting, you're going downhill. And you're not gaining, you're not gaining ground with God. You're losing ground with God. So what is the next thing in your life that you feel that God wants you to do? 1 Corinthians 9, 24, this is what Paul says to the church at Corinth. He says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. So run to win the prize. What's the next thing in your life that God has for you? And I am surprised when I ask that question to people that I know, what's next in your life? What's the next thing? What's, what is God calling you to now? I'm surprised that people that look at the ground and they fumble around and they go, I don't know. So I'm just asking you this week, you got some time in your hands, many of you. So why don't you take some time and think about what's next in your life? The third principle that I think that I learned from the Apostle Paul about success and therefore joy is a, a spirit of determination. The idea that I am going to finish well, that I'm going to fight to the finish. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14 says this, I press on to reach to the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Jesus Christ is calling us. Paul says here, let me read it to you one more time. I press on to reach to the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. What is it going to take you to stop? That's not only are you to stretch forward, but you've got to figure out what kind of energy are you going to bring to this? What's going to cause you to stop telling people about Jesus? What's it going to, what's it going to take in your life? What's it, what's, what will stop you? Here's the deal. In the Christian life, ground gain will always be taken by conquest. Let me slow that down just a bit because I want you to get that. Ground gain in the Christian life isn't by apathy. Ground gain in the Christian life is by conquest. Every step is difficult. Every move forward is difficult. It is a battle. There is an enemy. He doesn't want you to succeed. He wants you to fail. He wants you to give up. 
So you have to determine in your heart that there's nothing that's going to stop you and that you're going to, you're going to look at that conquest as okay. It's going to be okay that there is a battle in your life. The fact is, is the battle suggests that you're in the game. That's what it suggests. And many of us look at battles and we want to avoid battles, but the, fa- the fact is, is that you and I have got to be in the game. And for, be, for you and I to be in the game, there has to be a battle. So I've got to determine in my heart that there's nothing that's going to stop me. Every step I'm going to take is a significant step. And every step that's significant is going to be measured and it's going to be resisted by the evil one's kingdom. We're here on this planet to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. That's what we're here for. That's what, that, that was what Jesus' first message was all about. Bringing the kingdom to this planet. Success is finding the will of God, putting, pa- putting the past behind you, success and failures, pressing forward, reaching for that high mark and calling of Christ Jesus, and just simply doing it. Vince Lombardi put a sign over his locker room that said, absolutely no one may enter except those who are totally committed to winning a Green Bay championship. Absolutely no one can come into this locker room who is not absolutely committed to winning a Green Bay championship. I wonder what the church would be like. I wonder what your home would be like if you had that kind of determination in your life. I wonder what you would be like if you said, I am not going to accept anything but determination in my life to win the prize that Christ has for me. Listen to what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse number 24. This is so good. He says, I do not count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. There's that word joy again. There's joy in finishing the race. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ, successful people, people who are going to win in this life, have three things. They have truthful evaluation for certain. They have truthful evaluation. Second thing they have is they have a proper perspective of life. They, they know their successes. They know their failures. They put the past behind them. And the third thing that they do is they have a determinate spirit that says nothing is going to stop me from finishing the course that God has given for me to run. 